Hello and welcome to the Corridor of Uncertainty podcast. I am your co-host, John Yor, and my other co-host is Tony Rowlandson. Hello, Tony. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you, John? Yeah, um, let's... I don't want to talk about the football, but let's talk about the football. <laughs> let's, let's put it that way. I don't understand. We're starting a football podcast if you're saying you don't want to talk about football. Well, not not specific areas of football, not specific topics. Let's put it that way. Oh, does this topic begin with an A and end with a null? You you know it. Um, uh, so today, listeners, we have got for you uh, our game of the month, which is Chelsea versus Tottenham in the FA Cup semi-final, and that was a pretty brilliant match. We'll talk about that very shortly. Um, in part two, we're going to do our team talk, where we're going to cover Swansea and Sunderland and have a chat about um, a, like a quick roundup of their history and kind of how they've got themselves into their current league positions. Um, and finally, in part three, we're going to have a football stories from the month uh have a quick preview at the fa cup and champions league finals and do a wee bit of a roundup from the big league so moving on swiftly uh chelsea versus tottenham the fa cup semi-final um pre-match tottenham they've been the form team in 2017 uh, um they've looked really 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 good um chelsea though still top of the league they kept up pace but they have been slipping up recently and the points gap between them has reduced to, I believe it's four at the moment. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the, the where, where we get into this game. So let's have a chat about their formations. Both teams went with a 3-4-3. Three, three. Um, interesting, well, everyone sort of talked about the, the Conte and Hazard being on the bench, but we're going to talk about uh, more of a tactical thing, which was Son playing at the left wing back, and also Nathan Aki as well being selected in the centre back role. True, uh, and I think we should point out that Conte is normally on the bench. It's Costi, you're thinking of their job. Um, I'm sure Conte looking at him would love to be on the pitch, but they don't let him do that. Because um, um, okay. it's a suit. Um, we should probably yeah. do that again. No, it's fine. I'm fine with it. Let's let's. Keep it at the level we're, we're normally at, which is amateurish. So yeah, all right, but, all right, all right. Yeah, no, Sun Sun in particular is an interesting one because uh, I, one of the things that a guy called Michael Cayley, who is a Tottenham fan, was talking about is Pochettino likes to reward players for playing well. Um, he likes to give them more game time, which makes sense. But if you're playing a three-four-three, you're not going to drop Ericsson, Ali, or Kane. Anybody, right? So you sort of end up with a situation of crowbarring Sun in. So I'm not sure if Sun was playing because it was like a tactical thing or whether it was more an idea of just, let's get him on the pitch somehow. Oh, left wing back, that'll do. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, and I mean, I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about Sun in a minute. Um, but also Nathan Aki at centre-back. Uh, Gary Cahill was injured. Yes. Uh, John yes. Terry on the bench. Kurt Zuma yeah. as well. Yeah, it... It's kind of, it felt like he was resting some players. I mean, that was presumably why Costa and Hazard weren't playing, but it is somewhat strange not to see either Zuma or Terry out there because presumably one of them is the backup, uh, or you'd think so. So he must either have great confidence in Ake or not a lot of confidence in the other two. I'm well, not sure which one is. I'll say, with, I'll say with Nathan Ake, like, look at Bournemouth. Excellent in the first half of the season, but you know, have been a lot more defensively unsound since he's gone back to Chelsea. So 
he's he's at I think he's at at least Premier like he's at least Premier League level. So why not trust him, throw him in, and develop him a bit in a big game? You know, he's got to learn sometime. And he, I think he did well today. But we'll get on to that. Yeah, a fair a fair point. Right, so I'm going to talk about match dominance um, and give a kind of overview of the game and how and and how it kind of went uh, in my in my view of the game. So I thought for the first 15 minutes, Chelsea were really were really kind of all over Tottenham. And you know, relating to Son being chosen at win back, I wrote in the 13th minute in my notes. You know, where is he? What's going on? Like, where is he? Um, Chelsea were always coming down Tottenham's left and just they looked really, really exposed and, you know, got the free kick early. But, you know, after Kane got his goal, the whole, how, you know, how the kind of game went, Tottenham looked a lot more assured, you know, it was one all. But then, you know, Chelsea struggled to beat their high press and they relied on David Luiz for, you know, not only his sort of great kind of heading abilities and, you know, he's always first to the ball, winning his aerial duels, but he was also playing balls like, you know, very long. And he looked really, really good in the first half. Um, and then Son gave up that penalty, which kind of, I think, summed up his game. Um, <laughs> William took it. Um, but yeah, basically, I thought for the whole match, I don't want to get into specifics, but like for the whole match, Tottenham, Tottenham were the better team, especially after that first, after that first 15 minutes anyway. But Chelsea just... Their defence were just so good. They were very, very tight. And, yeah. One of the things I wanted to talk about with this was kind of... You're, you're absolutely right. Tottenham were, were dominant in terms of territory. But they really struggled to create anything. And and you get into that question of... is Were Tottenham dominant because they were so good and Chelsea were bad? Or were they dominant because actually Chelsea went, that's fine, we'll sit deep and try and hit, hit you on the counter? Because we, we know they like to do that. Um and the impression I got is is watching the match, I sort of felt it was kind of a bit of a stalemate, which seems strange for such a weird end-to-end match, but neither team seemed to be able to actually create great chances. No, neither team at, controlled the game. No, I mean, neither team controlled the game, but that's because both of them were playing really vertically. Um, like, and, I mean, I mean, yeah, like you said, Tottenham had all the all the territory, but as soon as they got to the, the like last, final third, Chelsea would win the ball back and it was straight up the other end. Yeah, exactly, uh, and, and and then they'd lose the ball, and and Tottenham would retain it and kind of work it forward, and or hit it long as well. I mean, we we were gonna this is sort of the second point, which is the formations we'll never out. You know, with when you match formations like that, um, you either need to be doing something interesting tactically within it um, to create dominance in certain areas, or you need like players to sort of just dominate the other player. And the point you made about Son having a weak defensive game kind of sums up what the issues that Tottenham had in terms of defending um, because his his defensive quality wasn't good enough <laughs> um, and, he, and he probably wasn't given enough attacking quality to overwhelm I see, I thought, Moses. I thought, uh, yeah, Victor Moses had a very good game against Son, I thought. Um, yeah, he looked just, just so much stronger than him and positionally more aware and, uh, yeah, I thought Moses had a really good game against him. Yeah, but I, I was looking. I was looking through the notes I made on goal on the goals, and you kind of go, "Well, one was a free kick. Mm. Uh, Kane then scored a ridiculous header." Yeah, that, I don't know how the technique that. on that header was amazing. Yeah, I mean that's that's a low. The chances of scoring from that position is so small, and he managed to make it happen. Um, then there was the penalty. There was um, an incredible ball by Ericsson for Ali to score in behind. 
um, like literally an inch perfect ball for him to score. Uh, Matic hit a screamer into the top corner. Hazard scored a goal from uh, a set piece. So all all the it. goals, are, you know, my, the free kick was, I think, a goalkeeping error. Um, yeah, I, I mean, that that's one of those ones, though, because he steps to the right, because if it's going over the wall, he, he has to step to the right to stand a chance again there. Um, and he can't see it because the wall blocks him off. So maybe it's an error, maybe it's not. I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you know, minus minus like the, that free kick and the penalty, mm. the, all the goals are beautiful today. Like on on that day. Yeah. yeah, but but they're also they're also a great indication of the fact that neither team was creating brilliant chances. Both teams could not create stuff, mm. and the reason was is because these formations matched up. Um, they couldn't work the ball through the midfield because Tottenham's two central midfielders were marked by three or four Chelsea midfielders um, and Chelsea the same with the other other direction but with Tottenham pressing high it meant they had to hit long um, and the wingbacks on both sides pushed right up when they had the ball they got really high up on the pitch so you just end up with this thing where Louise or Aldo Wilder on, um, on Tottenham's side would hit long balls into the front three or wing, out to the wingbacks Um which made it really end to end, but it meant neither side could really build anything because you're hitting these long balls and then it's kind of got to try and win the second ball and that makes it a bit scrappy and you're not in the right position and all these sorts of things just cascade from there. But then I um, think that that kind of brings us to our man of the match for today, which mm. we unanimously voted for David Luiz. He was terrific, wasn't he? He was. He defensively just so sound, won, like, like I said, just won all his duels and... Was, and, and, and playing those vertical balls as well. Like, I, I think you look at Chelsea's goals, I think the result of them, like, they, they managed to get into that position from him playing the ball out of defence, mm. but but very long. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and actually, I think he's had a terrific season. And, and it's easy to forget, but when he came back, people were just going, what the hell's going on here? Um, which I felt was a bit unfair because actually he's a very good defender, but he's a very specific type of defender. Mm. And he's a which means he will occasionally give the ball away and look bad. So the way Conte set it up, so he's you know the deepest of the three and has time and space, um, has emphasised those qualities. And he's he's a great centre back, and he's he showed showed that again in this game. Um, he yeah, brilliant defensively, fantastic with his distribution. You can't ask for a lot more, really. Absolutely. Um, we'll, we'll we'll have a we talk about our final point here, which was how Tottenham tried to use the width of the pitch at Wembley to retain possession and look to find space. Yeah, so so Tottenham would do this thing of sort of working it down, in particular, they'd work it down the right-hand side. And I don't know if this was a deliberate tactic, but they'd work it down the right-hand side to suck Chelsea in. So, you know, Ericsson would drift out there. You'd have Trippier out there and Dyer quite high up as well. And then, you know, Wanyama, Dembele supporting. So you end up with four players in quite a close space. So Kante and Matic get sucked in to provide support and ensure Alonso doesn't get overwhelmed. Um, and then they'd quickly hit the ball back into the centre-backs and switch it out to Son, who would have acres of space in front of him because Moses would be sitting deeper in line with you know his defence. Um, the problem was, is when Son got the ball, he didn't really have any passing options. So he'd run into the space in front, and then his only choice was to keep running it one-on-one or even one versus two versus Moses and Aspilicueta, which I still can't say. Um, Aspilicueta. Or or, I I suppose Aspilicueta. Shall shall I just go with Cesar? (laughs) If you like. 
Let's let's go with Caesar and um, Caesar and Moses. Um, so so it was one of these moments where you could see the problem was is because they had to go back to the centre backs and go deep. It took too long for the ball to switch, and they weren't high enough the pitch when they did it, high enough up the pitch when they did it to expose Chelsea's centre backs properly. Um, they were a bit, a bit too deep because they struggled to work the ball forward. Because as I said, the midfield was just cancelling each other out, um, cancelling each other out. So. Um, but it, it, again, it's that demonstration of a potential way that you can hurt Chelsea if you get it right. But it's so difficult and Spurs weren't able to do it today. Uh, yeah. Well, when this was. <laughs> yeah, um, I think that kind of sums up the whole game. Uh, that was a, it was a really it was in the, it was a fun game to watch, I'll, I'll admit. Mm. Like, I enjoyed I enjoyed the majority of the goals. Matic's goal was lovely. Yeah. Yes. Kane, Kane's <laughs> header as well. Yeah. Hazard as well. Yeah, I mean, good finish. It's yeah, it was really, really good goals today, but um, not a lot of great chances. I no. think is would be my view of it. No. Um, okay, so I guess that's it for part one. Um, we'll be back in a little while with part two, where we're going to talk about Swansea and Sunderland. Hello and welcome back to the Corridor of Uncertainty podcast. This is part two and we're going to do team talk where we discuss two Premier League teams and kind of have a chat about why they are where they are at the moment, at on the 3rd of May. Um, so the first I think we're going to discuss is Swansea. Um, I'll give a quick roundup of, of, you know, Swansea's history here they're kind of synonymous with uh, a bit of instability um, they're threatened with destruction in 2002 by their board at the time um, but they were saved by a consortium and kind of got some fan representation on the board worked their way up to the Premier League um, you know Roberto Martinez managed there um, Brendan Rodgers before Liverpool uh, they won the League Cup in 2013 of course um, and yeah this season they started with uh, with Francesco Guidolin I think I said that right um, close enough yes um, and yeah he, he got sacked this season after a poor you know poor run of results replaced yeah. by Michael Bradley who was sacked after 85? Bob Bradley. Bob Bradley. <laughs> Bradley. Michael Bradley's an American midfielder. That would be a shock. <laughs> uh, no, I said Bob Bradley. You said Michael, but yeah, sure. Did or I? maybe I'm just hearing things. I think you, possible. I think you, I said Bob Bradley. I think you, you heard Michael Bradley. I just, ah. I just, I sit here thinking about Michael Bradley like 23 hours a day. It makes it very hard to sleep. Uh, he's a very hard-working midfielder, I suppose. He is. He so is. A lot, lot to think about. Um, but yeah, Bob Bradley, <laughs> his his father, I believe? I have no idea. <laughs> I think it's his <laughs> father. I think it's his father. But yeah, Bob Bradley, former USA manager, um, was sacked after 85, uh, 85 days in which he had 11 games and conceded 29 goals. Currently... Yeah. Paul Clement, the former assistant manager to Carlo Ancelotti at Bayern Munich, um, actually a very prestigious coach and has a very 
you know, high-end career. I think he was also with uh, Ancelotti at Real Madrid as well. Um, he's currently the Swansea manager. And, uh, yeah, Swansea find themselves um, in the relegation zone. 18th, struggling, kind of. It's between them and Hull at the moment. Yes. For that final. I think Middlesbrough are gone. Not confirmed. Sunderland confirmed. We'll get on to that. Um, but, yeah, Swansea City. Let's... What happened? What happened? Yeah, they've been in poor. They've been in poor form all season, and, and changing managers hasn't hasn't done anything for them. Paul Clement's probably done the best, I suppose. They should have won against Man United the other night. Um, mm. uh, yeah. yeah, I think I think I think there's a couple of things which has sort of happened with Swansea. Um, well, let, let's talk about the transition of the team over the season. Um, so let's start at the beginning. Well, Und- okay, under yeah. Well, the thing, the thing with Guilin is they, they weren't great under Guilin, right? But they weren't awful. They had a really tough run of games because um, they, they opened up with Hull and Burnley, which obviously isn't the toughest, and they beat Burnley and they lost to Hull. Um, but they then they then played uh, Leicester before Leicester completely imploded, um, Chelsea, Southampton, Manchester City, Liverpool, and Arsenal. <laughs> That's a pretty tough run. That's a really tough run. You got sacked during that run, and you you sort of look at it and you think well if you're sacking a guy after not getting results against that particular group of teams you clearly haven't got a lot of confidence in him so uh, why you, have you, you stuck with him at the start of the season you know, you've, get rid you've of at him least got to give him another chance against you know where he's where he's got a realistic chance of making something happen yeah give him half the season that's that's or give him till December um, at least to, well, to see he only got he only got hired you can't tell season, anything from that yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was it was a very strange. In my view, it was a it was a harsh decision. It wasn't strange because you know, Swansea weren't doing well in terms of their overall points. But you look at that run; it's just there's not a lot you can do about that. And they were unlucky in a few. You know, they played well and couldn't get the points. Um, so then Bob Bradley comes in, and that's just pretty much a disaster. I, I think the one the one thing I would say in his defence is that in terms of that 29 goals, is he in matches where they were losing, he went for it. Um, he actually that tried to. He, he, he tried did, to get the win. I, I suppose, you know, the argument I suppose he had was, you know, I'm trying to win. Yes. Yeah. Um, but defensively, they were a shower at that point. And and Clements come in and he's improved them defensively. They're a better defensive side now. Um, but yeah, whether it's enough, that's that's question. But the thing thing that's interesting with me with Swansea is they're a great example of what happens when you have or three seasons of bad transfer windows, right? Because what happens is your team just gets weaker and weaker. Um, so I was looking at this, um, and this is who they brought in. They brought in Jordan Au, who's done nothing as far as I'm aware. Um, Lorente, who's okay. Um, Baston, who I actually think is pretty good, doesn't seem to play that much. Um, Leroy Fair, who this he's, could be his third relegation. Yeah, he's, he's always getting relegated, isn't it? Uh, one with Norwich, um, one with QPR, one with and, QPR. Yeah. And the thing, the thing, the thing with—he's one of those players who looks great but doesn't do a lot, and <laughs> um, and that that kind of sums up the problem. And they got they got the, the key thing that happened this this summer, which was really problematic. Is they got Ash, rid of Ashley Williams and didn't replace him with anybody. Uh, so yeah, and also Alfie Mawson. Yes, they did get out of him. Um, but again, he's 23 and he's stepping up to a new league, so it's not not ideal. Um, 
So you look at that, it's not a great transfer window, really. Um, nobody there. I mean, they did get Tom Carroll in, but I think that was in January, wasn't it? And he's never, uh, yeah, he's never really stood out to me. He's kind he's of a like, good player. He's a good player, but I think he's, he, he's going to be a bit He's not like, going to change things around. No, <laughs> he's not going to save the club. He, he's a bit of a Tom Cleverly type. Yeah, I think he's a bit better than Tom Cleverly, but I see what you mean. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. But yeah, the, you look at the season before, though, right? The season before, uh, they got Andrew Ayu in, who did quite mm-hmm. well, but they sold him this uh, this year. Um, they got in Botti Biabi, Oliver McBurney, um, Christopher Nordvelt, Frank Tabernu, Edder, and... Yeah, none, and of, none of these players Boshi. have really set the league alight, have they? They've done nothing. They've done absolutely nothing. And even, this, even the season beforehand, right, they got Sigurdsson, brilliant, right? Mm. Jack Cork, decent, good you know, solid signing. Yep, but yep. Carl Norton didn't do anything as far as I'm aware. Federico Fernandez, Matt Grimes. I mean, these aren't outstanding signings. Um, they no, didn't I'd, get I'd even, I'd even, yeah, I'd even count Fabianski as one of like, the better players that they've got, but none of them really stand out. I mean, you've still got um, Leon Britton there from, you know, he's he's he played in the championship with them. Nathan Dyer also played in the championship with them. Yeah, it's, it's, just, it's just a side which has decayed over time. Because um, they haven't been able to replace guys, you know. You look at who's gone out. Au left. Williams uh, left. John Joe Shelby, who, for all his problems, was actually quite a useful player for them. Left. Mm-hmm. Um, Michu, although he's completely cropped by injury at, at this point, left. Uh, Boney left. Ben Davis left. Michael Vaughan left. Pablo Hernandez left. You know, it, they lost players who were good players, guys who weren't as good. Um, yeah or didn't do anything for them. And that's just built up over several seasons. And and in the end, what happens is this season, where you've actually a lot weaker squad than you realise. And so it starts badly, and you fi- you then start firing managers to try and fix that problem, when actually there's you haven't got the there's, a, there's a more inherent problem within the club. Exactly, and the recruitment's been poor. Mm-hmm. That's the last couple of seasons. That's it. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll tie this up here. Um, we'll, do you think they'll get relegated? Them or Hull? Well, I mean, the thing... So so they have Everton, Sunderland and West Brom left. Mm-hmm. And Hull have Sunderland, Crystal Palace and Tottenham left. And I would say... Hull have... Uh, is it a three-point lead? No, four points. Two points. Sorry, two points. Two points. Uh, two points of them. I think I would lean towards Hull at this point. Hmm. Just because I don't think I think Tottenham on the last day I don't think Tottenham would be particularly interested. I don't know. It depends. I, I guess it depends on what happens with the upcoming Chelsea and Tottenham matches. I suppose uh, still only four points left at the top of the league. But anyway, yeah. But this um, is the last day of the season, so it might be, might be, but we'll see. So our next team that we're going to talk about is Sunderland. Um, They've been relegated this month, um, but, uh, you know, quick roundup of them. Um, currently, they're owned by an American called Ellis Short, who joined in October 2011. Um, you know, they've had a few managers who've been kind of big names, you know, Steve Bruce, Martin O'Neill. They even had Paolo Di Canio in, which forced David Miliband to... <laughs> to leave the board um you know they they've been they've been in the premier league since 2008 um but they've never 
you know, well, they've they've not been in the top half of the season, which I think I heard as a stat since 2011 when they finished 10th, you know, and now they're relegated. Yeah. <laughs> well, we, we talked about Swansea having some issues around switching managers and not recruiting well and Sunderland are just another level <laughs> of chaos, really. Well, kind I, of, I, think I, I think I heard that, you know, Throughout Ellis Short's time at Sunderland, his number one target has been David Moyes, but he's never been able to get him. Um, <laughs> and now he's got him. It just so happens to yeah, maybe it, maybe come at a point of David Moyes' life where he's he doesn't like football anymore. Yeah, I, it's kind of it's weird because there's like there's two bits here. It seems to me you've got Sunderland the club and then you've got Moyes and <laughs> what's going on with because Sun- Sunderland uh, have been in that weird position where they have miraculously stayed up for three seasons somehow you know in multiple occasions it looked like they were destined to go down and they've just thrown a new manager in there who somehow kept them up while throwing some new players in there but because of that they've constantly turned over managers and they've constantly turned over players um, and ended up with this mishmash of a squad I mean you look you look at the people they've brought in and gone out, it's, it's yeah. really bad. Well, it's really bad. I mean, um, they're, they're missing, you know, such stalwart stars as uh, Lee Catamol. Yes, yeah. But, you know, if Lee Catamol is still your key defensive midfielder, there's probably a, a big issue there. But, um, I mean, look at, look at, you look at some of, these, some of these players, like, okay, Paddy McNair, managed by him at Man United, as was Donald Love, Stephen Pienaar was managed by him at Everton. Anna Chaby, yeah, Oviedo, Gibson, Lescott, like, yeah, just. But the thing, the thing goes. His goes recruitment policy is, is is terrible. Yeah, it's. it's where's your imagination, mate? Yeah, where's <laughs> where, where's your imagination? And the weird, the weird it's like thing. A bad, it's like a Phil Collins song. <laughs> well, the weird, the weird thing about it as well is he was known for his recruitment at Everton. Um, and and at Everton, they did very careful analysis of players. They looked them over time and time again to the point where it cost them sometimes. You know, sometimes they players because they just wouldn't go for it because it, they felt it was too risky. And here he's gone for a set of guys who surely he must understand are past it or not ready or are never going to be good enough. You know. I mean, Anna Chaby's just, just been injured forever. Um, Lescott, he brought in Lescott. I mean, why would you be bringing in Lescott? But even before this, you know, they, they, they spent lots of money. But even you look at some of the signings last season before Allardyce came in and, and got specific players. Well, Allardyce, uh, to, to be fair to Allardyce, his tra- he, when he got in for the January yeah, transfer no, window, his, his, his transfers were spot on that saved them. Yeah, no, I agree. Exactly. Those were really good. But you look at some of the others beforehand. And, and, and again, yeah. like he's done the same at Crystal Palace. Yeah, well, he's he's a good manager. He, he, knows, he knows what he's doing. I, I slag him off, but I, like fair play to him. He is good. But you look, you, look at, you look at some of the guys that brought in, you know, Jack Rodwell, the, the guy who's, they spent 10 million on him and he's just constantly injured. Right, Will Buckley. I don't think done anything for them. No, he? wasn't it? Wasn't, uh, wasn't it Jack Jack Rodwell who still hasn't been on a winning a winning, or he had that stat of being like on a really long streak of being on a winless side, like starting starting games and always being on the losing side or something. 
Yeah, possibly. I mean, it, he just he's just injured all the time, right? And he's not he, he's never developed into the player he could be. I think partly because of those injuries. You know, Josie Altidore. Um, <laughs> do you remember him? I do. Um, like, oh, Fabio yeah. Barini, who's who's a decent player, but he's not incredible. Well, he he was, just, he was he was at he was at um at Swansea when they went up. Was he at Swansea? He was. I think. Really? Yeah, I, I think he was in their he was in their um, playoff winning team. Okay, I'll tell you where for it. Um, but like, the, he might have been on loan Liverpool. from Liverpool. Well, maybe. But you look you look at this, and you just. So many players. They bought Sebastian Cotes and mm. then loaned him out immediately. Well, not immediately, but they loaned him out fairly soon afterwards. They spent lots of money on Conor Wickham and then sold him because he never did anything for them. There's, they just they brought in so many players who just have not been good enough, or for whatever reason. And there's there's rumours of like you know attitude issues at Sunderland and like heavy drinking and all this sort of stuff. But for whatever reason, they just brought. They've done massive turnover players and never seem to get anything to stick. Um, and then you get Moyes come in, who who seems to yeah went for this weird. I'll just get these guys because at least I've worked with them before um, and set up. And they've been dire all season. They've been terrible all season. You also they, they, yeah. they don't appeal. They don't appeal to, um, to to the general football fan as well. When you hear like, oh, we're going to go on a team bonding experience to New York, and then. You know, I think about a couple of weeks later. Oh, we're sacking a lot of our of our like club staff. Yeah, I mean that's that's bad PR. But um, and, 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 but then but then you look at like some of the wages like these that the Sunderland players are on do not reflect their ability at all. No, they've they've paid over the odds for these guys as well because they've been swapping through so many managers and they're having to like panic buy. It it's 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 really it's a really sad but good example of what happens when you're constantly batting relegation in firefighting mode and you're not doing any long-term planning at all they've thrown so much money at the wall to try and get something to work you know they spent 33 million uh, 34 million this year according to transfer market um they spent 56 million the year before that 19 million before the year before that um 28 million the year before that, you know, 32 million the year before that. They've just thrown so much money at bad players. Mm. And then Moyes has come in. And I think, I think that I can't tell if Moyes is just a bad manager now or whether he needs time to set settle in. Cause at Everton, let's not forget he was there for years. That's, that, um, that, that, that's true. Um, you know, he was only given half a season at uh, United and I think he, he didn't even last a season at Sociedad either. No, no, he hasn't at all. So you kind of wonder whether somebody just needs to give him time or whether he's just genuinely bad. Well, it's, let, it's let's look to the future here. Catastrophic let's, mismanagement has taken this this club down. <laughs> well, let's look to the future here. Like, they're going down next season. So what, do they have a chance? They'll get the parachute payment, so they will be getting money. The, 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 killer, the killer for them will be how many of these guys are big contracts who they can't shift. But you go, you go through some of these guys and, you know, Johnny and Lescott, who's going to take him? And they're probably paying him a lot. John O'Shea, they're probably paying a lot. I don't know if he'll go anywhere. Um, although I think their contracts might be up at the end of the season. Yeah, so they, they'll, they'll get lucky there. But Brian Oviedo, they gave a very long contract to, and I'm not sure who's going to want him. Um, Billy Jones is still there. <laughs> um, 
and he's probably paid decently. Like Jack Rodwell's probably on a fairly big contract, and he's there. To, he's contracts till 2019. Catamol will be on a fairly big contract, and he's contracts at 21. Um, you know, uh, like Jan Kershoff, who's one of the few players who's actually probably pretty good there. His contract ends at the end of the season, so they're not going to get any money for him. You know, you look at that and you just go through and think, well, Darren Gibson's still there. <laughs> well, he, he came in this season. Yeah, sorry, but his contract still runs out till uh, next season, I think. Is he uh, on loan, though? No, 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 he was transferred in. He was fully transferred in. Fully transferred And his, his contract keeps going into next season, and he's probably been paid quite a lot as well. So, just Well, they spent, they spent £7.5 for both Darren Gibson and Brian Oviedo. Bloody hell. It's just, it's, it's mind-boggling. I mean, really you, you think, I think, oh, I don't know, I, I relate it back to, like, old championship manager games that I used to play and you know you'd be spending seven and a half million on Thierry Henry in 1998 <laughs> like mm-hmm. yeah uh, it's this like Lamina Kone has looked terrible this season <laughs> um and he's on a big contract but he did really well last season under Allardyce so yeah, David Moyes functioning must, defense David Moyes must just Either, either he's got no idea how to make these players play, or, oh. But yeah, I, I just look, I just look at, I you know Papi Gilabogi, who they think, yeah, who they paid for. How much did they pay for him? Uh, like eight million. They paid eight, for him. eight, eight million. million. It's just so bad. <laughs> it's so bad. And, and he's he's contrasted to twenty twenty, and again he's probably been paid quite a lot, and you kind of go. Who's going to be the person? And, and, you know, to be fair, there's plenty of stupid decisions in football, so I'm sure somebody will be willing to do it, but who's the person who's going to take him on and take those wages? I just don't know who that is. So they could, they could, it could take them years to fix this mess. Um, I, think it, I think they won't come straight back up. I think it will take them, like, a, se- a couple of seasons. And well, it looks the like problem is if, if it takes you a couple of seasons, then it can end up taking you 8, 10, 12. So it, well, it looks like it's uh, there's going to be only one Northeast team in the Premier League next year, and that's from a promoted team in in Newcastle. Ooh, yeah, well, well done. I, I don't know whether we should declare your interest, but well done, by the way. Thanks. I, I felt like I was key to the whole thing. Yeah, um, I'm. I'm a Newcastle. No, I, 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 we probably shouldn't be doing this in the Sunderland. In we shouldn't be doing this in the Sunderland section. I think it's, I've it's been a little bit dis- straight. It's it's a little bit disrespectful, so we'll probably end this here. Um, but yeah, fa- farewell, Sunderland. Your your few, last few seasons in the Premier League have been um, spectacular. Uh, I think I think the only the only thing you can hope from a Sunderland fan's perspective is that actually getting relegated gives them the sort of breathing room to sort themselves out quite quickly. Um, I'll I'll end a, I'll end a, I'll end a quick point here. I'll, I'll end a quick point on that and just say um, I think I, I I heard somewhere that you know a lot of the, the stadium light tickets are actually pretty cheap and I think next season um, like youth season tickets are going to be fifty quid. That's pretty impressive. So um, yeah, it looks like they're just trying to fill the stadium, which you know, fair play. I, I encourage the Sunderland team the Sunderland fans to actually still go and support their team because that's that's ridiculously yeah, cheap. That's what you should do. Yeah, it's yeah. ridiculously cheap. Uh, enjoy that. Um, so yeah, we'll end part two here and we'll be back with part three in just a minute.
Hello and welcome back to part three of the Corridor of Uncertainty podcast and it's our football chit-chat and stats section. Um, we're going to cover a couple of football stories of the month and have a bit of a chat about, you know, upcoming things, upcoming events, upcoming matches um, and do a stats roundup as well. So uh, probably the one we want to talk about the most is uh, a story that actually came out today that the football that the English FA are going to trial uh, Simbins in the lower leagues of English football. Uh, it's going to take part on step seven of the lower league football. So if I explain, if I explain that, yes, yeah, so step one is the National League Premier Division, which I Premier would league. refer, yeah, I would refer to as the conference. Uh, to any, to any. Wait, that's that's not that's not step one, is it? Surely that's step of five. of of, of non-league. It's step one. So, oh, it, so it, you're saying that they're going to do it level seven of non-league? Yes. So I wow. Hold on, I can give you. I can I can even give you the leagues uh, that it's going to be played in. That it's going to be brought in. It is. So we've got uh, the sense. This this is just a selection uh, of the leagues. We've got the Central Midlands League Division North and Division South. Classics. Uh, the Midland League Division 2, the South Midlands League Division 2, Staffordshire County Senior League um, Premier Division, uh, and the West Midlands Regional League Division 1. So, you know... That's the one. That is a cracking league, though. No, but, okay, before, I'm not going to take the piss out of non-league football because I'll go and see my local team. No, no, I'm, I'm taking the piss out I'm taking the piss out of the fact that I know nothing about this level. It's my own incompetence in this area. Well, um, I mean, I mean, it's non-league this, football. This, this so is where genuine football. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is this is this is where you know amateurs are played, and I, I believe um, a thousand clubs have been. It's, it's a voluntary thing. Um, a thousand clubs have have been emailed to see if they're interested in piloting the scheme. Um, but you know, I, I'm interested to think. Uh, to to hear what you think about this, Tony, because I've got, I, I'm going to I, I'm I'm not going to claim the the origin of this idea, but uh, Tim Vickery uh, of the BBC Five Live World Football Phony has been asked about this issue, and I, I kind of agree with him when he says, um, you know, there's so many there are so many ways to waste time in football. So if you're going to lose a player for ten minutes. T- that time can just be wasted like get down to 10 men just kick it out waste time you know fake injuries that kind of thing and after 10 minutes you get your player back yeah i mean that's true but so so this is presumably the idea is stolen from rugby right of course yeah and so rugby, so well I'll re- uh, the rule is that it'll apply to yellow cards shown for dissent and we'll see players leave the field for 10 minutes Interesting. I, I actually, that's that's a useful piece of information um, because I thought it was applying to all yellow cards. And that no, would be really interesting. only for, only for dissent. <laughs> okay, so I think I think the thing for me is there's two points. I guess in rugby, it's done to a team of fifteen guys. So if you lose a guy, you've still got it's relative percentage differences smaller than in football, right? Mm-hmm. Which doesn't sound important until you think about the fact that in football, losing a guy you lose about 10% of your team. Well, 8%, I think, of your team, right? Mm -hmm. That's quite a lot. And even if it is for only 10 minutes and you're trying to waste time, that's still really hard. Because don't forget, we see this. You know, when when teams get red cards, we watch teams try to waste time to see out the game. And they find it really hard. 
it's really really difficult. Yes, so but I think. But bear, I think bearing it, in it, mind, it's it, only for ten minutes. Yeah, but ten minutes. That's still you know that I, that's still like eleven percent of the game. That's you know there's only ninety minutes. <laughs> that's a but significant. But over the course, okay, so a game of football is played over ninety minutes, 90. right? I, I think only about. I've read a stat before where only 60 minutes of is open play. Yeah, uh, there's only 60 minutes of actual play in, in a 90 minute game. Yeah, um, and and depending on which league, it can be higher or lower. That's that's true, but that still means you get. Oh, well, I'm trying to do the cal- calculation in my head. <laughs> I think it would be about put that um, maths degree to use. About five. <laughs> it'd be about something like five to six minutes of open play that you wouldn't have a player available for. Which is still, you know, that's significant. And even if you're trying to waste time, I mean, he's right, that's what teams are going to do. But it's still difficult. It's still something, and it's the sort of thing that's going to piss off your teammates. Because imagine it, you're playing, you're, you're playing the match and your guy gets sent off, you know, well, put out, put out of the game for 10, 10 minutes because he's yelling at the referee. You're going to be really angry with that guy. And I, I think it's a great way to try and reduce the amount of dissent. I think it's, yeah. I, I think... Certainly, you got to, It's worth trying, isn't it? <laughs> I so I, I mean, I suppose I'm more I'm more interested in trying this than maybe vid- video technology because my my view on video technology is if you're going to apply it, like it's got to be applied at all levels. Any rule, any kind of action that you're going to make to influence the outcome of the game has got to apply to every level of football. Yeah, and they can't afford to do that. Yeah. So the sin bin rule, um, actually more conducive to like giving it, you know, giving it a fair shot because you can do it. At, clearly, you can do it at every level in football if they're trying trialing it in this at this level of football. So I don't know. I guess we'll see what happens. I, I, th- I think I think it makes sense. I think actually putting stuff in place which punishes teams for and properly punishes teams in the moment for disrespect to the referee is smart. You know, the important things they talked about was taking the rugby thing of walking it 10 yards forward. Um, stuff like that gets players to stop doing, you know, being being disrespectful to the referee because actually you get an immediate consequence. It's that it's like a direct incentive to not do it. Because you get say you get a yellow card at the moment for dissent. Okay, mm-hmm. so what? You get a yellow card. At some point in third, further in the season you might miss a game but you probably would have missed that game anyway it's not really much of a deterrent really unless you think you're going to get sent off um so actually put having a situation where every time you do something like that where you actually are unfair to a referee and referees get a really hard time um punishing that guy directly then and the team directly then i think is a great way to do it and and what else are you going to do you know <laughs> you got to do something it's it's What's happening at the moment? Is it okay? So, yeah, yeah I like true. it. Okay. I, I like it. I think I, I think that's a great idea. But, uh, we'll do a uh, quick we'll do a quick zip through um, a couple of other a uh, couple of other stories. One that's come out again uh, today uh, in Sully Montari, formerly of uh, Milan and Portsmouth, um, has been banned for a game after he protested against racial abuse. Um, he walked off the pitch in protest uh, and got a second yellow card. Um, and I think kind of the big point in this story is that Syria um, said that the 
uh, Cagliari fans, um, their actions were, uh, quote, deplorable, um, but as only approximate, and again, quote, approximately 10 uh, supporters were involved, fewer than 1% of the Cagliari supporters in the ground, it couldn't impose sanctions. So, um, yeah, uh, that's a, a lovely a lovely story of... Um, the culture of football there. Um, but to, to kind of bring the positivity back, I'm going to give a nice little shout out to some South coast clubs who've actually been doing rather well lately. Um, we've got Bournemouth retain, like pretty much safe in the premier league for another season. You've got Brighton possibly could win the championship on the last day of the season. Um, we've got Plymouth and Portsmouth in league two getting automatic promotion as well. So, um, a massive round of applause to those clubs, especially, uh, uh, especially Portsmouth as well, like uh, our, our, our home, back from where they were, our hometown club as well. So I'll, I'll give a, I'll give a, I'll give a shout out to them. Um, but yeah, uh, let's let's have a quick quick chat about um, two upcoming games for this month. Uh, we've got the FA Cup final and the Champions League final, which we'll probably be covering at the end of May podcast. Um, you have to probably the Champions League final, especially it's uh, got to be the Champions. League. Especially, I mean, that's the pivot. Especially who might be into it, um, but yeah, FA Cup final. So it's going to be Chelsea and Arsenal. Uh, what do you? What are your predictions? Chelsea to win. You to be very upset. That's basically it. Have Arsenal got any hope? Yeah, I mean Arsenal are, are Arsenal are the sixth best team in the Premier League, and and that means things can break through. Like well. The Arsenal versus Manchester City semi-final is a great example. Absolutely, so you could have yeah. a match where Chelsea dominate and, you know, should win, but Arsenal score a goal and somehow hold out, and that's game. You know, it's, it's one game. Anything can happen in one game, um, except for um, Jack Rodwell winning, of course. But he's not playing, <laughs> so it doesn't matter. Um, but the likelihood is Chelsea will win, because they're clearly a better side than Arsenal this year. So, um, yeah, I, I don't see... I'd be I'd be very surprised if Arsenal win that one. Are, are you going to watch it, John? Are you going to force yourself through that? I'm I'm definitely going to watch it. Whether I watch the whole game depends on what happens <laughs> in the game. Um, I think uh, the, the only other time I've ever turned off a game uh, in which Arsenal have been playing, I've watched I I, I watched to the end um, every time. Um, actually, there's two times. One was. Um, the six six one against Chelsea. That was that was. I turned it off after three goals. I, was, I, I couldn't do it anymore. Um, and I turned it off at the start of the season against Liverpool away. And I think that's when I lost all hope for the for, for our season. Um, but yeah. Anyway, Champions League final. That's that's more. That's that's. Wait, what was your prediction for the FA Cup final? Uh, do you think Coquelin will learn how to foul Hazard? That's a key question. Well, that's the people a bit. The the talk has been about man marking Hazard, which is what Man United did to 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 get the game against them. Um, but uh, Arsenal, yeah. Uh, do we do we retain this back three? Does Wenger actually believe in it? Like what what we? The, <sighs> yeah, apologies, apologies to go off topic, really. I don't understand the back three at Arsenal. I don't understand why that's a good thing. It literally seems to be a thing of, like, everything's going terribly. Some big clubs are doing back three and it works. So I guess we'll do it. It's like, I don't understand what 
Arsenal get out in terms of improvement from that, but... Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm not going to talk about that at all. We're going to move on to the Champions League final. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah we, could, we, could, we could go down a deep... Yeah, I'm not going down that road. Um, <laughs> the Champions League final. So um, we're actually talking after both the first legs of the semi-final have been played. So Real Madrid won 3-0 against Atletico Madrid. And the final's going to be Real Madrid versus Juventus. <laughs> well, well, hang on, hang on. Let me let me get to it. Let me get to it. Don't, 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 you know... Don't reveal it before. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, uh, Juventus have beat Monaco tonight 2-0. Um, away from home. Away from home. So that's two away goals. They've basically won. Um, yeah, so Real Madrid and uh, Juventus in the final. That's, I think Juventus might have it. Yeah, I, I could I could see that. I think Juventus are a better team than Real Madrid. I think so too. But again, you get back into that thing of it's one game. And I think, I, I do think that match will be closer than Arsenal Chelsea. I think I think they're closer in terms of quality Real Madrid and Juventus than Arsenal Chelsea. Are, well so. of, well of course, yeah. I th- well so, I th- I think you look at look at it like this Real Madrid and Barcelona are pretty neck and neck in the league at the moment. Um I think they both share 81 points. Um but Juventus, you know, smashing Syria as per um have they they beat Barcelona in the previous round? True. Um you know, think, with, with with a brilliant three 0 victory, and then you know a really really de- good defensive display in the nil nil at the ca- at the Camp Nou, and I'd, I'd give I'd give Juve a sixty percent chance of winning that. Oh, there you go, sixty um, percent. That's pretty good. And yeah, but I, I think they're really excellent, and I think Real Madrid are weaker than they've been in a while. So, yeah. what's the percentage of a draw? Well, zero. <laughs> I, uh, I mean, final. like, no, I mean, after after <laughs> 90 minutes, after extra time, like, how, how uh, what's the percentage of it getting to penalties? Oh, I have no idea. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> I don't do that level of precision off that field. <laughs> fair <laughs> enough. Okay, um, we'll move on finally to our stats roundup. Um, so we've got a couple, we, 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 I'm going to ask you a couple of questions about um, things that are happening within the leagues around Europe. Um, uh, hopefully you can uh, give me some answers, Tony. Um, okay, we're going to start off with the English Premier League. Um, my question to you is, can you give me a reason why only the top seven have a positive goal difference? So... Yeah. And, 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 by, and by a considerable margin as well. Well, so so... The two kind of go hand in hand, right? Because if you add up all the goal differences between everybody, it should equal zero. Um, because, yeah, there's been a number of goals scored, a number of goals. Of course, not, yes. I guess. So it has to be zero, right? Yes. In the end. Um, so if you're going to have like a smaller group of teams with a high goal who are only positive, um, then it has to be bigger just by the nature of that, of balancing those two numbers. It's basically just an indication of just how dominant the top six, seven teams are in this league this year. Um, you know, particularly the top six are clearly better than everybody else. Um, and Everton have done done very well as well. So nobody can compete with them. They've got a difference towards the top. What's quite interesting is actually it's not that uncommon to see that across all the top leagues. Okay. Um, if you look at Spain, it's kind of the top eight instead. So, yeah. Well- Okay, that's interesting. It's kind of similar in uh, in lower leagues, like uh, the national league mm. is is pretty much the same as well. 
Yeah, yeah. It's it's usually you get a few teams who are like a lot better than everybody else, and so they rack up a big goal difference, um, and then that distorts everything towards the top. So okay. Um, next, uh, Tony Adams has been hired as the kind of t- caretaker manager of Granada at the moment. Um, I was just wondering, they're you know they've only got a few games left. Uh, they're in the relegation. Does he have any hope? No. They're terrible. They've got like the worst defense by a long in terms of expected goals or shots plus I should use. And their attack is pretty close to being the worst as well. So there's not much to recommend them at all. They're just sort of this motley crew of loans, young loan players um, who haven't coalesced into anything like a team. So I think I think they're doomed. Okay. Uh, next up in the Bundesliga, um, I've got a question for you about Leipzig and uh, Hoffenheim. Um, so Leipzig, the surprise of the season, they're sitting in second with 63 points. Hoffenheim, again, a little bit of a surprise of the season um, at 58 points. However, I see they've got a very, very similar for and against. Um, mm. Hoffenheim actually just edging it uh, with one better in goal difference. But, you know, Leipzig are, are uh, you know, five points ahead. How, yeah, yeah, and they've lost more games. Of... Hoffenheim have only yeah, lost three well, games. Yeah, but they've, draw, they've drawn a ton of games, which is really kind of surprising because Hoffenheim are quite an attacking side in many ways. Um, they like to counter uh, uh, in particular, but, you know, they've racked up some big wins. Um but they just, yeah, they've drawn a lot. And strange draws as well, like 2 all, 4 all was one of their draws, another 2 all. Is they, they, they tend to be in games with goals, but for some reason they've just drawn a lot of them rather than end up winning or losing them. Whereas Leipzig have managed to, they've, they've had some dominant wins, but they've had quite a few sort of like just edge that win, just edge that win. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, you end up with a situation where even though the goal difference is close and even though... Yeah, you end up with this thing where the goal difference is close, but actually the results end up being quite different just because of the, where, the spread of where those goals end up being. I don't know if that's helpful. <laughs> I like, the only point I would say is like I'm surprised because Leipzig are a much better defensive side and Hoffenheim are a better attacking side. So you'd think that Hoffenheim would be the team which wins and loses more, right? Because mm-hmm. you'd expect more goals. But no. For some reason, that's how this has gone this season. Fair enough. Okay, um, and finally in Serie A, um, it looks kind of like the league table is shaping up to how you predicted it at the start of the season. Um, why is that? Why has why is Serie A going to revert to the statistical norm? Um, well, I, I think there's probably a couple of reasons. First of all, my statistics are amazing. I think <laughs> that's the only conclusion we can come to. Um, but second of all, I guess, so mine's very shots-based, um, and usually it tends to work unless a team gets a lot of luck or they're doing something really weird, right? Um, and Syria doesn't have a lot of teams doing stuff that's really weird. What do you define yeah. as weird? So I'm talking about teams who are quite extreme. So one good, great example uh, would be Gladback under Lucien Favre, uh, which was a season or two ago, he had this thing of like, he would basically pull everybody back into his own box and give up the rest of the pitch and then just try and hit you on the counter-attack. So you end up with a situation where the chances they were creating were 
brilliant because the opposition had to commit. They're always on one on one. Yeah, kind exactly. Of thing. Yeah, yeah. Whereas the opposition might they might get shots in decent positions, but they're surrounded by like four or five guys all the time, which makes be hard so that's kind of weird because it's very extreme and and quite unusual um and the the quality of chance you're creating is so much higher than the quality of chance you're conceding per shot um so that's the sort of thing which tends to throw stuff off in in syria that's less so the case i mean there's probably an element of that with juve but juve are so much better anyway than everybody else that it they still end up being the top team even in my stats so mm. um that plays a lot uh, you know a a major part because the teams don't create necessarily tons of um they, they play interesting tactical stuff but it doesn't end up being extreme like that so um yeah it ends up being about right just okay. to just to leap back to the la liga one as well looking at the table um i think granada might be relegated already <laughs> oh really are they so, i think they're 10 points off safety and there's three games left so uh ah. yeah they're definitely done fair enough <laughs> okay um just a quick final question on that. So, um, where in the top are there any teams in the top league that do have these extreme numbers? Um, in terms of like out of whack with what, what you, I would expect, what you would expect, yes, yes, mainly league. Oh, league oh is a strange league anyway because there's lots, lot, a lot less shots. Well, that's there. true. I mean, you've got you've you've got Nice in third have had a fantastic season with uh, Mario yeah. Balotelli as well. Yeah, well, Nice, Nice are managed by Lucien Favre, so ah, they, okay. So my my stats were saying like, oh, they're a mid-table team, and then they just keep winning and end up towards the top. And I, I knew that was just because it's Favre being Favre, and I my the statistics I keep don't work with them. Um, otherwise, it's it's pretty good. Um, the other team is Monaco. Like, mm-hmm. I my think just in terms of it views them as a good side, but not quite. 50 goals plus goal difference good mm-hmm. um and i think there's multiple well, yeah they're plus 66 at the moment and uh, 66. could even put six points between them and psg because they've got a game in hand they've scored yeah, 95 they goals that's incredible I, I don't understand them mbappe <laughs> is that good yeah the, the only the only other exception would be in germany Hertha berlin i think the way my stats look at them see them as like a relegation battler and they're fifth. Mm. Yeah, so. that's true. They've only got a plus one goal difference. I mean, again, looking at the goal difference there, you've got Dortmund in fourth with 30 and then Hertha Berlin with one. Yes. And, and yeah, they're really strange. I don't, I don't understand Hertha at all. Um, so that, that's another good exception. But Liga tends to be the area where if you want to see strange stuff happening, that's, that's the place. Here we go. Okay, well, um, I guess that's it for our for our podcast today. Um, thank you for listening, everyone. Um, yeah, I guess we'll be back at the end of May. Um, might have uh, a little bit extra for you because it's the end of the season. Don't know. We'll do some end of season roundup, or I don't know. We'll, we'll, yeah, we'll see how we feel. We'll see how we feel. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll, I guess we'll see you in a month. Uh, Tony, thank you very much. Uh, oh yeah, I'll, I'll chat to you in a month. I guess. Yeah, pleasure, John, and I'll speak to you later. Be safe. Yeah, we'll do. Be careful. We'll do. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.